Welcome to the Prince College Podcast. We are so thankful that you've tuned in. Our hope with this podcast is that it teaches you more about who Jesus is, what he's done, and what that means for you. With that in mind, let's dive right in. Hope you enjoy. Amen. Well, you guys can go ahead and take a seat. Like Emma said just a few moments ago, we are continuing in a series tonight that we are simply calling the Good Portion. And the idea behind this series is this. We talked about uh, several weeks ago the story of Mary and Martha and how Martha is just this busybody who's just getting after it. But in all of her serving, she misses out on sitting at the feet of Jesus. She misses out on what Jesus calls the good portion. And I explained to you guys in week one that my heart for you, just as the college pastor here at Prince, is that I don't want anything to stand in the way of you choosing the good portion. I don't want anything to come in the way of you and your relationship with the Lord. And so we've been taking some time to talk about some things that tend to stand in the way or some things that tend to serve as obstacles or barriers in our relationship with God, the things that would keep us from truly sitting at his feet, from experiencing more of who he is and being in relationship with him the way that he has designed us to. And so with that in mind, I think it's important for us tonight to talk about the very real topic of suffering. Because here's the deal, suffering does exactly that. Suffering oftentimes keeps us from truly experiencing God. And I've been walking with Jesus long enough to see people go through seasons in their life that are difficult, that are painful, that they don't have an answer to why the things are happening all around them and they're suffering And their suffering causes them to run from God rather than run to God. And I don't don't want that for you. I want you to know how to suffer well. I want you to know the reason behind suffering and learn to run to Jesus, not away from him. Because here's the deal. Regardless of if you are in a season of suffering right now or not, what we are promised in this life, we are not promised that as followers of Jesus, we will have a pain-free life. That's a really false and dangerous teaching that if you just come to Jesus and believe in Jesus, everything will be okay for you. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches the exact opposite. In John chapter 16, Jesus himself says that he's, he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. For in the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. And so what we see even from the mouth of Jesus is that he tells us that we will face tribulation or trouble or sorrow or suffering in this world. That will happen to us. Why? Because we live in a broken world. And the brokenness that we experience is a product of sin in our world. And you need to understand that, that God created the world perfectly. And he created mankind in his own image to find our satisfaction, to find fulfillment for our souls in a relationship with him. But mankind chose to rebel against God. And as a result of that sin in the Garden of Eden, brokenness was introduced into this world. And with it comes pain, with it comes suffering, and none of us are exempt from that. But the good news tonight is that we serve a redemptive God. 
We serve a God who is in the business of making all things new. And what we believe as followers of Jesus is there is coming a day where Jesus will return and his kingdom will be here and we will dwell with him forever and there will be no more sorrow. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. He will wipe every tear from every eye and death will be no more. That's good news. But the reality is, until that day comes, we will still experience suffering. But in the midst of that, as you walk through that in your life, and you will, you will, as you walk through it, I want you to hear the words of Jesus that he does not want you to run from him. He wants you to run to him and to find in him peace because he has overcome the world. And so that's what I want us to talk about tonight because the reality is whether you've experienced much suffering in your life yet or not, you live in a broken world. And because of that, you will go through pain. Welcome to Prince College Nights. It's just going to happen, right? So sorry if that sounds really bleak to you, but you will. It'll happen. But when you do, I want you to know how to be people who turn to Jesus in the midst of suffering. I want you to develop a theology of suffering now so that whenever the difficult times in life come, you're prepared and you know how to not let suffering serve as a barrier in your relationship with the Lord. You know how to not let suffering keep you from choosing the good portions. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. If you're a note taker, the overarching idea of this message tonight, you can jot this down as this, is that Jesus uses our suffering to reveal his sufficiency. Let's say that again. Jesus uses our suffering to reveal his sufficiency, that in the moments of suffering there is purpose, that there's purpose in the pain, and that Jesus uses even the darkest moments of our lives to reveal more of himself to us. And I want us to see that tonight. And in order for us to see that, in the story of scripture, I'm going to take us to a story that is found in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. So if you got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and flip there with me. Now, a little precursor here. This story is kind of like the story that we told last week. It's a really long story in Scripture. I don't know what it is about the Apostle John, but he just likes telling long stories. Okay, so I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to walk us through this story. I'm going to pull out and point out, excuse me, some uh, important things for you to see throughout the story of John 11. But we're going to talk about this story, and it's another story about Jesus and the two sisters, Mary and Martha. So... You'll be able to follow along in your Bibles. What we see is this. In John chapter 11, as John chapter 11 starts, Jesus gets some news that's a little unsettling, right? Like he hears a word, a messenger comes to him, and he hears that his friend Lazarus is sick. And it's not looking good. This is not just like a little cold. This is a big deal. Lazarus is ill. And so Mary and Martha, his sister, so Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha. What we know is that Jesus loves this family, cares about this family, has a relationship with this family. And so what we see at the beginning of John chapter 11 is these sisters send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick and they ask him to come and return to heal their brother. 
That's what, they, that's what they're supposed to do, right? Like Lazarus is sick, so they call out to Jesus. They call out to the one person that they know could do something about their brother's situation. And if you've been reading at all in John, so obviously John chapter 11 happens like halfway through the whole story of John. If you've been reading in John, what you would expect is that you would expect Jesus to jump into action here. He's already been doing the miraculous. He's been healing people left and right. And whenever he hears that there's this family that he loves and that Lazarus is sick and it's looking like he's going to die, you would think that Jesus would drop everything and go to Lazarus. Or at the very least, just say the word and Lazarus would be healed. That would make sense to you, right? But what we see is that's not what Jesus does at all. Instead, he says this really interesting line. He says, this sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of the Lord to be revealed. And it says that he loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, so he stayed where he was for two more days. Catch that. He loves them, so he stays put. He loves them, so he doesn't go. He loves them so he doesn't return and heal. And what we find out is as this story unfolds, we see that this sickness does kill Lazarus, and he is buried in a tomb. And whenever you're reading that, it just looks on the surface like this is incredibly insensitive of Jesus. This is passive of Jesus. This is apathetic on his part. Like, what is happening here? It doesn't seem to make sense. But as we continue in the story, what we see is that Jesus is orchestrating a moment to reveal something magnificent about himself to show this family something that they could not have seen otherwise. So keep going with me. The story continues to say that Jesus and his disciples, that they make their way back into town. So after two days have passed, they then go and they return to the home of Lazarus. But the text actually tells us that before Jesus can actually even get to the house, that Martha hears that Jesus is on the way, and she leaves the house, and she runs to meet Jesus. I love that. Like, that's just so typical Martha in my mind. Like, she leaves Mary sitting with everybody else weeping in the house, and Martha takes off. And she goes, and she confronts Jesus, and she comes to Jesus, and the first words out of her mouth that we see in Scripture are this, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And I want you to feel the pain in those words. I think sometimes whenever we read scripture, we just kind of breeze over dialogue like that. But I want you to feel the emotion in this. Picture this. This is a woman who knew Jesus. She knew his grace. She knew his love. But she also knew his power. She had experienced it. She had seen it. And her brother got sick. And she did the one thing that she knew how to do. She called out in faith to Jesus. She asked him to help because she knew that Jesus could heal and Jesus could restore. And she believed by faith and she called out to the Lord. But Jesus didn't do it. He didn't come. And so she watched this sickness that she knows Jesus could have prevented, kill her brother. And now Jesus is here, but in Martha's eyes, he's too late. And that's real. 
That's raw. And I want you to feel that. Perhaps some of you in the room tonight, maybe you felt that before, that you've gone through something incredibly difficult. You've walked through something impossibly hard, and you've called out to the Lord, but it seems like you're just being met with silence. That's what Martha's feeling here. Hear the pain in her words. Lord, if you would have only been here, my brother would not have died. But what's interesting about this exchange is the very next sentence out of her mouth is incredibly beautiful. She says next, she says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And I want you to see that, okay? So this is a woman who is feeling incredible pain, but in the midst of her pain, she's saying, but even now, I still believe. That's what Martha is saying. This is incredible faith. This is a woman of God here. This is a woman who has seen Jesus work, and even in her pain, she's saying, I don't understand. I don't know why you did this, but even now, I believe that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. It's incredible faith on the behalf of Martha. This is a beautiful moment. She's acknowledging that she still believes in Jesus, and Jesus says something interesting to her. He says, your brother will rise again. And now Martha hears that, and she thinks that Jesus is talking about a day to come in the future. She thinks about what she calls the resurrection on the last day, that she's been taught for her entire life, that there's a day that is coming where death will be no more, the saints will rise and dwell with the Lord. And so that's what she thinks Jesus is referring to. Jesus thinks, excuse me, Martha thinks that Jesus is talking about eternity, talking about a day to come. But then Jesus speaks into this moment with Martha, and he says one of the most incredible declarations in all of scripture, and he says this to her. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe? And Martha hears this, and she says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the son of God who is coming into the world. And this interaction between Jesus and Martha shows us something important about what Jesus does in our suffering. If you're a note taker, I want you to write this down, that in our suffering, Jesus brings hope to our present. Jesus brings hope to our present. You see, here in this moment, Martha is talking to Jesus, and Jesus says, your brother's going to rise again, and she thinks that Jesus is talking about some distant day in the future, in eternity, and so she's putting her hope in a day to come, but Jesus is speaking into her life and saying, no, 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 Martha, you're missing the point. I am here now. Put your hope in me because I am the resurrection. I am the life. There is no hope. There is no resurrection. There is no life apart from me. Hope in me. That's what Jesus is doing in this moment. In this encounter, he's inviting Martha to see him in a completely new way, to relate to him in a completely new way, to see him for more than she's ever seen him before. That in this moment where she feels devastated and hopeless, Jesus is inviting her to see that there is still hope because he is there with 
her. And he's inviting her to put her hope in him rather than on her present circumstance. And you see, this truth is so incredibly applicable for us because if you're in the room tonight and you have put your faith in Jesus, meaning that you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he paid for your sins on the cross, died, was buried, and then rose to life, defeating sin and death, and you have confessed him as your Savior, then there is a day coming. There is a day coming where there will be no more sorrow, Well, there will be no more pain. The heartbreak, the pain, the anxiety, the depression, all of those things that you feel that are negative, that the suffering that we face in this life, you will no longer experience in paradise, in eternity with him. And that is a beautiful truth that should bring deep abiding comfort to our souls. But it does not mean that we do not suffer in the present. Because we still live in a world that is broken, where there is pain, where there is loss, where there is fear, anxiety, depression, and heartbreak. And there are very real tears and there are very real suffering. But I want you to hear me say this. Jesus didn't just save you for some future day to come. He saved you now. He wants a relationship with you now. And in the midst of your suffering, Jesus doesn't want you to just put your hope in a day to come. He wants you to put your hope in a Savior who has come. I want you to hear that. Jesus has come and he has conquered the power of death. This is where the rubber meets the road for us, guys. Because here's the deal. It's easy. It is easy, easy, easy in the context in which we live to say that we're putting our hope in Jesus whenever things are going well. That's easy. It's easy to praise Jesus in the sunshine of life whenever things are going well for you. But whenever the rubber meets the road and there's darkness and there's pain and there's suffering, it's much harder. But hear me, Jesus is no less God in the dark moments of life. If you think about Psalm 23, whenever the psalmist writes that, that, that God he's a, is our good shepherd who leads us beside still waters, who makes us to lie down in green pastures, it's easy to praise God whenever he's making you lie down in green pastures and he's leading you beside still waters. It's much harder to praise God whenever you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But God is no less God in the valley than in the pasture. And I want you to hear that. Jesus Christ did not just save you for some future reality. He has saved you now. He wants to be in your present now. And I want to be clear here. I'm not just saying that If you go through pain, if you go through suffering, if you just believe hard enough that God's going to make your situation turn around, that's not what I'm telling you. That would be prosperity gospel. That would be false doctrine. That would be heretical. I'm not telling you that. You will face trouble in this life, but in those moments of trouble, I want you to be a person who chooses not to just look at your present circumstance, but to lift your eyes and see your ever-present God. That in the moments where difficulty and pain come, in the moments where it feels like the world is heaping on more than you could ever bear, in the moments where the enemy attacks you and tries to rob you of all hope, that you, if you have trusted in Jesus, that you can pause and take a moment to remember who you belong to. 
that you belong to the one who created the heavens and the earth. You belong to the one who breathed life into the heart of man. You belong to the one who pursued humanity even in our rebellion. You belong to the one who left heaven, put on flesh, lived among us, dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and who rose from the grave for you. You belong to the God of hope. That's who you belong to. And I want you to see Jesus that way. I want you to have that perspective because if you have that perspective, as you walk through the darkest of valleys, you will see him bring hope to your present. I want you to see that. But there's so much more. This is an incredible story. Jesus continues and he has this conversation with Martha and then Martha takes him and, and goes back into the house and to get her sister Mary and Mary runs out of the house, and there's a group of people who have gathered around to mourn the loss of Lazarus, and they all follow her out to Jesus, and, and Mary comes out, and she collapses at Jesus' feet. And she says the exact same thing to Jesus that Martha said to him. She says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. The text tells us that she's weeping, that the crowd around her is weeping, and you need to see here that in the original language, the word used for weeping here whenever it's talking about Mary and Martha and the crowd is this word that means loud, uncontrolled wailing. It's the weeping that happens as a result of a deeply broken heart. These people are devastated. They can't even hold it together. It's loud, uncontrolled weeping. And we see here in this moment that Jesus, he looks upon this scene, he sees the crowd, he sees Mary, he sees Martha, he sees them weeping loudly and uncontrollably. And the text says that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, there is so much significance in that phrase. Because again, if you allow me to nerd out here on the original language, in the original language there, that phrase, it more accurately means, whenever it's describing the emotion in Jesus, it's describing an emotion that means to snort like a horse, <laughs> which is comical, right? But what it means is like if you've ever been around a horse that's gotten angry and its nostrils begin to flare, that's what it means. It's a word that implies great anger and indignation. That's what this phrase means. And so what we see in this moment is that Jesus is not just deeply moved. He's not just sad. He's furious. But the question becomes, why? Why is Jesus mad? Like, is he angry because the people are crying? Is he angry because the people are sad? Like, is he coming up like, hey, don't you know who's here? Don't you know that I'm going to heal? Don't you know that I'm going to restore? Don't you know that I've arrived? No, that's not it at all. What Jesus sees is he sees what death has done to this family that he loves. He sees this family that he loves grieving the loss of their brother, and he's furious at the great enemy of humanity, which is death. And he intends to do something about it. And then, in that really short verse that you all memorized in Bible school, because it gave you a couple of points, because it's two words, shortest verse in the entire Bible, but perhaps one of the most profound, we see God in flesh weep. Jesus wept. What we see is our Savior choose to weep with those who weep. 
And yet his weeping is not the same loud wailing as the crowd that day. It's actually a completely different word in the original language. It means quiet, controlled weeping. That he's weeping with those who weep, yet he does not weep as one who has no control. He weeps as one empathizing with the brokenhearted. I want you to see that because it reveals something else that Jesus does in our suffering. That in our suffering, Jesus brings compassion in our despair. Jesus brings compassion in our despair. The world that we live in, there will always be times of despair. Because here, we've already talked about this, that we believe in a God who created the world for us to find our soul's rest and satisfaction in him alone. But we've pursued it in all the wrong places. And in the Garden of Eden, they wanted their own power. They wanted their own control. And because of that, brokenness enters the world. And out of brokenness in the heart of man, we see all manner of evil in our world. This is the source of pain and suffering in our world. And whenever you experience that, whenever you experience brokenness, whenever you experience suffering, it will hurt There will be despair. That's what this family is feeling. But what I need you to understand tonight is that whenever despair comes, whenever that pain comes, you need to understand that Jesus is not distant from you. He's no more distant from you in the suffering than he is in the good times. He is present in your reality. He brings compassion in your despair. What you need to understand is that Jesus is not passive about your suffering. He sees it, he knows it, he feels it, and it angers him. Jesus is not just sitting up in heaven blissfully unaware of the pain that you are facing. I think sometimes whenever we're going through seasons of suffering, that's how we think about God, that he just doesn't care, that he's just flippant, that he's just passive, that he doesn't know what we're experiencing. But you need to understand tonight that Jesus is not some distant deity. He's present in your Reality. He's present with you and he wants to walk with you through the pain. And we need to understand this because sometimes there's a tendency in us, whenever pain comes, whenever suffering comes, we want to isolate. We want to remove ourselves. We want to numb out the pain. We want to distract ourselves into oblivion. We want to run from God for all manner of reasons. But I want you to be people that don't run from God in the moments of suffering. I want you to run to him and experience more of him. I'm not just telling you about this because, you know, like academically or anything. I've experienced this in my life, y'all, and I want you to experience it as well. I remember very vividly there was a season in um, my life with my family, and I don't have time to go into all the details, but it was just, it was one of those seasons that was incredibly dark that was incredibly painful. There were a lot of tears. There was a lot of frustration. There was a lot of questions about why. And I remember in that moment feeling like I was trying to like put on a face and like act like things were okay. You know how you do. Like you don't want people to know the pain that you're feeling. And I was doing that a lot. I was leading in a bunch of environments. I was trying to be a positive, you know, just source in my family. And I just, I was walking around and I was suffering and I felt like no one knew it. And I remember I came home, uh, this was whenever I was in college, I actually lived at the River Club townhomes, so shout out to any of the River Club people in the house. Um, and I, I was by myself in the, in the townhome. 
And I just decided I'm, gonna, I'm just going to turn on Netflix. I'm going to just numb out. I'm just going to watch a movie. And I'm like scrolling through like the suggestions on Netflix. And for whatever reason, Netflix suggested that I watch the movie Radio. I don't know if you've watched the movie Radio. It's an incredibly sad movie that you should not watch whenever you're in a bad mood, okay? Um, but I just remember there's a, so if you don't know, Radio is about a, um, a guy who has special needs and he's, he's like a volunteer with this local football team. And at the very beginning of the movie, there's this incredible scene where, or it's a really sad scene actually, where Radio is like putting some things up in the shed and these football players, they come and they grab him and they like tie him up and they throw him in the shed and they're just pounding on the outside of the shed. And Radio is like literally curled up in a ball in the, in the shed and he's just terrified. And the coach of the football team, he walks up and he sees what's happening and he makes the football players leave and he goes into the shed and he sees Radio just kind of crouched there on the ground and he kind of just kneels down, and he reaches out to try to help Radio. And Radio, like, recoils. He doesn't want the coach to touch him. He's afraid. And the coach just gets eye level with him. And he looks at him, and he says, Son, everything's going to be okay, but you've got to sit still so that I can set you free. And I, I don't know if God makes a habit of talking to people through movies, uh, you can ask Pastor Josh that on Sunday if you'd like. But I just felt God whispering those same words to my heart. Adam, you're doing too much. You're trying too hard. Sit still. Let me in. That's what I want for you. Because here's the deal. Suffering oftentimes makes us feel like we've got to be the one to get out of our own pain, get out of our own suffering. But in the midst of it, I want you to see Jesus as one who brings compassion in the times of despair, who has come to walk alongside you, who has come to set you free. I want you to be a person like Mary who runs and just collapses at the feet of Jesus and just finds in him everything that you need. And you will find in Jesus one who weeps with the brokenhearted. I want you to see Jesus like that. But I also want you to see Jesus for who he truly is, which is what we see in his encounter with Lazarus. So we've seen Jesus have an encounter with Martha. We've seen Jesus have an encounter with Mary. Now it's time for Jesus to deal with Lazarus. What we see next in the story is we see Jesus say to them, take me to the tomb. And so they come to the tomb, and, and there's this scene where they, they just see like a, it's, there's a um, hole carved into the rock. There's a stone rolled in front of it. Okay, this should sound at least vaguely familiar to you. This is important. And Jesus sees this, and again in the text it tells us that he's deeply moved that anger is still there, that that holy indignation is still there. And he tells them to remove the stone. But Martha speaks up. She objects. She doesn't want this to happen. She says, Lord, by this time there's going to be an odor. He's been dead for four days. I find it really funny and interesting. In the King James translation, if any of you have the King James Bible, it actually says from Martha's reply, it says, no, Lord, he stinketh. And I think that's absolutely amazing. I don't know. Completely irrelevant to what I'm trying to say, but I just thought you might want to know that he stinketh. So Martha protests. She doesn't want to let, she doesn't want to like reveal the mess. She doesn't want to roll away the stone. She's afraid there's going to be an odor. And Jesus replies, she said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they see this moment happen. 
They see the stone is rolled away, and Jesus stands at the edge of the tomb. And I want you to picture this. He's got that holy indignation. He's angered at what death has done to this family that he loves. And with that holy indignation and with the very power of God, he calls into the tomb. He calls into death, and he says, Lazarus, Come out, and here comes Lazarus, a man who was dead, was then made alive, a man who was once stricken with disease, now made healthy, a man who had ceased to breathe, now has fresh life in his lungs. And Jesus says, unbind him, remove the grave clothes, and let him go. He no longer needs him because remove these garments of death. He is alive. And what I want you to see from this last point is this is that in our suffering, Jesus brings life from our death. Jesus brings life from our death. I want you to see in this story, the people had gathered that day and they felt helpless. They felt like there was no hope. They felt devastated and they were in need of comfort They were in need of compassion. And Jesus steps into this moment to show that not only did he bring hope and not only did he bring compassion, but he brought the very power of God. And he brought the very power of life. And he stepped in where there was only death and he brought life. He brought victory where there was only defeat. And he did all of this. He orchestrated this entire moment to show them that he has power over even the most hopeless of situations. And I want you to see that. I want you to see that in your life, that Jesus has power over the most difficult of situations. He wants to bring life from death. He wants to bring life into your moments of suffering. He wants to change you for all eternity. Because what you need to understand right now is that this story is ultimately foreshadowing of what was to come. Because what Jesus did for Lazarus on this day in history was temporary. You understand that, right? Like Lazarus was going to die again. Lazarus was going to need those grave clothes again. Lazarus was going to need that tomb again. Lazarus was going to experience death again. But hear this. What Jesus did for Lazarus temporarily, he's now done for you ultimately. He's now done for you ultimately. On that day in history, Jesus fought death and he robbed the grave. That happened. Lazarus came back to life. On that day in history, Jesus fought death and he won. But that that victory was only temporary. And there was coming a day where there would be another fight, where Jesus would fight death again. And he would do so in his own tomb, where he would do so in his own grave, with another stone rolled in front. And this time, death would not temporarily be held at bay. Death would be defeated once and for all. Because when Jesus walked out of his tomb, he has no intention of going back. We serve a risen Savior. We serve a conquering King. We serve a God who has conquered the very powers of hell and death. And now what we believe through the power of the gospel is that because Jesus Christ lived the perfect life, that he died a sacrificial death, and he did rise from the grave, that he calls out to us. And those who hear his call and turn from our sin, that we too can be invited out of the grave and into new life. This is the story of the gospel that what Jesus did for Lazarus temporarily, he's now done for you ultimately. And there is nothing that could ever take this away from you. No pain, no suffering, no sorrow, no circumstance. Now again, 
hear me. Does that mean that if you just believe that Jesus will just automatically bring life to your circumstance, that he'll turn your circumstances around? No. It doesn't mean that. I'm not promising you that Jesus is going to turn around your circumstance like he turned around Lazarus's. That does not always happen. But it does mean this, that whenever you see Jesus as the one who has the very power over even the grave, that you can have confidence even in the darkest moments that you are walking through because you believe that you serve a God who works all things for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That you serve a God who's in the process of making all things new, bringing life even from the darkest of situations. You serve a God that like 1 James 1 talks about, that we call it all joy whenever we face trials of various kinds because we know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness, when it has its full effect, makes us perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We serve a God who brings purpose even in our pain, that he uses it to reveal more of himself in us. You will walk through difficulty. You will walk through difficult times, but I want you to see the overarching truth of this story here. In this story, what we see Jesus do is Jesus reveals himself as the resurrection and the life. He reveals himself to be the one who has the very power over death, but in order for Jesus to do that, he had to allow Lazarus to die. You understand that, right? Like for him to reveal himself as the resurrection life, he had to allow this moment to happen. So what we see at the beginning of that story where Jesus remains for two more days, at first that looks like passivity, that looks like apathy, that even looks spiteful of Jesus. But by the end of the story, what we see is that it's actually an act of his grace. It's an act of his love because it allowed these people to see something that they desperately needed to see in Jesus. And my question for you tonight is what if he does the same thing in your suffering? What if he's trying to use your moments of pain to do the exact same thing, to reveal something more about himself so that you can stand with more confidence What if he's going to use your suffering to bring life into the life of another who suffers in the same way that you have? What if he wants to bring life from your death, from your suffering, from your pain? There's this tendency, whenever we go through suffering, to ask why. Why God? Why me? Why now? And I'm not telling you that it's wrong to ask questions. I'm just telling you to ask a different question. In the moments of suffering... Don't just ask why. Ask God, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to reveal to me? How are you using this moment for your glory and my good? How can I see you as more sufficient in the moments of suffering? That's what I want for you. Because like I said, moments of suffering will come in this life. They will, you will face pain. But in the midst of it, I want you to be people who keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, who watch and bring hope to your present, who watch and bring compassion in your despair, and ultimately watch and bring life from your death. I want us to be people like Martha that say, even in the midst of the suffering, I still believe. That's what I want for you. Would you pray with me? 
Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Prince College Podcast. If you'd like more information about our ministry, you can check us out online at www.pabc.org backslash college, or you can follow us on social media at at prince.college. We'll see you next time.